Do you ever wish you understood things a little bit better? Back in the 1980s, my wife Ann and I bought our very first VCR, and we were so excited. It was one of those big purchases that we made in our, in our early years of marriage. We were excited until it came time to hook it up. Then a few years later, we bought our very first Blu-ray player, and it was a family Christmas gift. So we stayed up on Christmas Eve until 2 o'clock in the morning, putting that, uh, hooking that up to the TV. I'm just really thankful that our marriage weathered that storm. And then it wasn't long after that, probably four or five years later, we had a problem with our home computer. And so neither of us could figure it out. And so I called this friend of mine who works with computers, and he came over, and in 10 minutes, he diagnosed the problem, ordered the part, and promised to come back when the part arrived to install it. I don't know about you, but there are just certain things I wish I understood better. And technology is one of them. Honestly, I I get so frustrated. IT stuff drives me crazy. Well, maybe for some of you, you'd like to better understand who God is. Maybe you would identify with this. If God, if you would just do something spectacular one time that I could see in my life, then maybe I'd understand you better and my faith would get bigger. And I wonder if God hears those kinds of thoughts and thinks, well, okay, what about this? What if I make a giant rock that you could live on? Oh, wait a minute, I already did that. And we're like, no, God, you don't get it. We want you to do something really amazing. And so God thinks, okay, I got an idea. How about I do this? I'll create these, this 576 megapixel camera and I'll take two of them and I'll stick them right on the front of your head. And then I'll attach those two cameras to a 3,000 gigabyte hard drive computer which has more memory than you'll ever need. Oh, wait a minute. I already did that too. And we're thinking, no, no, God, you're missing the whole point. We want you to do something truly spectacular in our lives. You know, maybe like a miraculous healing. That may sound like it's far-fetched, but that's basically what we're going to see in our text today. We're in part five of our series called Eyewitness, Testimony of Someone Who Was There. And we're looking at the journey that John took with Jesus. He's been chronicling this all through his gospel, the gospel of John. John organizes his account around specific events that he says are signs that actually point to not simply what Jesus did, but they point to who Jesus is. He documents all of this so that future generations would know the story of Jesus, but his agenda isn't simply that we would know what happened. His agenda is that we would be convinced that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. And he tells us all this at the end of his gospel in John chapter 20, verse 31. We read this. But these are written, the previous chapters that he's given us, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
He says, I wrote these specific things so that you might believe. I want you to respond to this. Not just that, oh, that's interesting or that's kind of cool. I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And I want you to do more than just that. I want you to place your trust in him and decide to follow him. It will change your life. So John has an agenda, and he organizes this entire account called the Gospel of John around these events called signs. Well, today we examine the fifth sign. It's found in John chapter 9. So as we pick up the story, Jesus is in the vicinity of Jerusalem, and John's there, and he writes about it. And this is what he writes, verses 1 and 2. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi. Now, they're, gonna, they're looking at this blind guy. He's sitting over there off in the distance, and he's been there every day, all the time. Every day they pass by, they see him here. So they ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The assumption in the first century was that there was this cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. If somebody was suffering, it's because they had sinned. That's simple. The idea was that they're getting just exactly what they deserved. Now, we know that sometimes our behavior actually does cause us suffering. And we also know that sometimes we suffer because of the, the actions of other people. But Jesus is about to point out, not all suffering is caused by sin. So Jesus shifts their paradigm by what he says next. He asks the question. He answers the question they ask, excuse me. He says, is it, is it him or his parents? And the answer is neither. Neither the man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But what but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Pain and suffering can actually have a divine purpose. Think about it. Perhaps pain and suffering always has a divine purpose. That was the case with Jesus. His pain and suffering certainly did. Author and theologian C.S. Lewis famously wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Sometimes God chooses to display his power on the stage of our pain and suffering. You've seen people whose response to their pain and suffering was truly extraordinary. We've probably all seen people like that. And as a result, it caused your faith to grow. I know I've seen that. In fact, some of the most extraordinary people I know are people who go through exceptionally difficult times, and yet their faith is rock solid. One of those people in my life was a man by the name of Roy Mays. If you've been around Lexington for a while, you probably know this guy. He was my boss for probably 10 years or so. And Roy was a brilliant man who had a remarkably deep relationship with the Lord. His faith and his attitude were amazing. He was always living on the sunny side of the mountain. Roy was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. It's a cancer, and there is currently no cure for it. And he went through numerous rounds of chemotherapy, 
two bone marrow transplants, and countless doses of high-powered medications. The treatment for multiple myeloma, to put it mildly, is it's intense. But Roy fought it every single day. In fact, his strategy, he told us, was prayers and pills. He was going to pray for God's healing, and then he was going to take advantage of every, every possible treatment that was available. The remarkable thing was Roy's response to this disease. He had a smile and a sunny disposition almost every time you saw him, even though you knew most of the time he was experiencing tremendous pain. His attitude was always so positive and filled with joy. Roy showed how God demonstrates his power on the platform of pain and suffering. Well, Jesus turns his audience and he focuses on this blind man. And he says in verses four and five, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Here's the point of John's gospel right here. Jesus said, look guys, my identity who, who I truly am, I'm never more apparent to you than right now. I'm the light of the world. That's me. And it'll never be brighter in this world than it is right now while I'm here with you. And when I leave, it's gonna be dark again. So Jesus says, watch me, learn from me, and believe and then in verse six, he says, it says, after saying this, Jesus does something really strange. It says he spit on the ground, and before they, anybody could say, hey, we don't spit near the temple here, he made some mud with some dirt, it says. He made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. And let's be honest, this is, this is weird. Who does that? But Jesus spits, he makes mud, and he puts it on this guy's eyes. And then he says to the man who was born blind, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. And what we have here is some foreshadowing. The blind man walks by faith and not by what? Not by sight. Literally, think about it. You know what he did, though? He did what our Heavenly Father would like for every one of us to do. He chose to trust someone he couldn't see based on the testimonies about that person from other people. John points out how important this is later in John chapter 20, verse 29. Listen to this verse. He says, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus was talking to his disciples that day. And he said, blessed are you guys because you saw all the stuff that I did. But double blessed are the people who never saw any of this. And yet they still believed. They still believed. Verse 7, it says, this man was just like us. He didn't see, but he believed. Verse 7 says, so the man went and washed and came home seen. And where did he go? After he was healed, where did he go? He went home. Of course he did. 
Verse eight says, his neighbors and those who formerly seen him begging ask, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? His neighbors, those people who knew all about this guy, those who had previously seen him begging, say, wait a minute, isn't that the same guy who was always in the neighborhood on that one corner begging in that same spot every day? Verse nine says, some claimed that he, was, that he was, others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Yeah, some of them are saying, yeah, that's him. And others are saying, no, it just looks like him. It can't be. But he's, he's, he's there and he's insisting, yeah, I'm the guy. I'm that guy. I used to sit over there. I begged every day. And I know I look a little bit different than I did back then, but that's because I can see. And then somebody asked the question that probably everybody was wondering, and that was this. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. It's this man they call Jesus. We've heard rumors about him. He made some mud and put it on my eyes. I guess the blind guy didn't know how Jesus made the mud, which is probably fine. It's probably better that way. And then he told him to go to Salome and wash. And he did that, even though it made absolutely no sense. And of course, they're curious. Where is this man, they say in verse 12. I don't know, he said. Where is he? I don't know. I didn't see where he went. I had to throw that, I'd throw that in there. He was blind when Jesus healed him. He had to go to the pool of, you get it, right? Okay. Verse 13. They brought, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. And they did this because that's what they were supposed to do under the old covenant. When someone was miraculously healed, you were to present them to the religious leaders. So they take him to the Pharisees, and that's when, in my mind's eye, the music, if you're making a movie of this, this is when the music changes. The soundtrack gets a lot more intense. Verse 14, now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Uh-oh, he's done it again. You remember back in John chapter five, Jesus healed a paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. And that was on the Sabbath too, and he got in all kinds of trouble with the religious elites. Jesus made mud, and he opened this guy's eyes on the Sabbath. And the question is, when is he ever gonna learn? All this is gonna do is create problems for him. According to the tradition of the elders or the oral covenant, the oral Torah, you weren't allowed to do certain things on the Sabbath. And one of those things you weren't allowed to do was mix things like spit and dirt to make mud. Also, you weren't supposed to heal or do medicine on the Sabbath unless it was to save a life. So apparently... Healing the blind was an elective procedure. Couldn't be done on the Sabbath. And so, again, Jesus is in big trouble. So this is what we read in verses 15 and 16. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him, this is the blind man, how he had received his sight. 
He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Okay, how do you know he's not from God? Well, it's obvious. See, for the Pharisees, this was, this was perfectly clear. Technically speaking, he didn't keep their version of the Sabbath. Even though he didn't break the written law, he didn't keep their law. And here's the problem. Jesus didn't fit in their God box. Whether you realize it or not, most of us have a God box. That's the parameters that we set where we think God should operate within side of those parameters. And Jesus was operating outside of those boundaries of their God box. And thus, he can't possibly be from God if he's doing that. But some ask a very important question. Right there in the middle of verse 16. How can a sinner perform such signs? Wait a minute. If he's not from God, then he's like us. And we're all sinners. So how can a sinner perform such a sign? And remember, John says throughout this entire narrative, the Gospel of John, these signs are all pointing to the identity of Jesus. So this sign says something about him as well. Well, he goes on at the end of verse 16 and then verse 17. It says, so they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man, the man replied, he's a prophet. I really like this part of the text because they're starting to annoy the man who used to be blind. They want to know, is this guy a sinner or not? He's the one who healed you. And the man replies, I have no idea if he's a sinner or not. But if it were me guessing, I'd say he's a prophet. In verse 18, they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Now they're doing a deep dive in this investigation now. See, the Pharisees think this man is making this whole thing up. That's probably the best explanation that they can come up with. So they sent for his parents, and his parents, now they're afraid because if you get called in by the Pharisees on the Sabbath, it's pretty, pretty clear you've done something wrong. Verse 19 and following says this. Is this your son? They ask his parents. They ask, is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself Is this your son? Can you confirm this is your son, the one who you gave birth to, who was born without sight? He was blind. How is it then that he can see now? And here's what his parents said. This is what we know. We know he's our son, and we know he was born blind. But the rest we have no explanation for. How he got his eyesight, we don't know. Who did it, we don't know. Ask him. He's old enough. He can vote. He can join the army. He can answer this question himself. Verse 22. 
His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. The parents, they're afraid of the Jewish leaders who seem to have already made up their mind on what's going on in this situation. There's no room in their theology or their worldview for what is happening right before their very eyes. Verse 22, they already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. They had already decided they're kicking you out if this is, if this is your worldview. And to be put out of the synagogue meant you would be ostracized from the community. And his parents didn't want that. The religious leaders, like some of us, let's be honest, they were the ones who were truly blind. Have the Son of God right in front of them. They see his work, and yet they were actually blinded by all of their presuppositions and assumptions about Jesus. This is what we would call willful blindness. This is refusing to see what can be seen. It's there, it's obvious, but I'm not gonna look at it or I'm gonna ignore it or I'm not gonna let it influence who I am. Confirmation bias always allows you to only take in the information that affirms what you already believe and you refuse to acknowledge anything that might pull you out of your context because it might cause you to think beyond the parameters of your God box. Verse 24 says this. A second time they summoned the man who'd been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. They're still not done with this guy. They're gonna run him through the ringer a second time. Okay, so you're blind, we've asked your parents, we've confirmed all that's true. Obviously something happened, but clearly this Jesus had nothing to do with it. So give glory to God for what happened to you. Because this Jesus, this man, he's a sinner. He could not perform such signs. And verse 25 is probably one of those verses you should highlight or underline in your passage it says this, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. In other words, he's saying, and listen closely, I don't know everything, but here's the thing. I don't have to be able to explain everything to believe what's right before my eyes. He didn't get it. He didn't get everything about Jesus. But what he knew was he was blind. And because of Jesus, now he could see. You and I don't have to be able to explain how everything worked out either or why it worked out in order to know that something actually happened. I don't have to understand everything to believe something. And here's the good news. Neither do you. Neither do you. Maybe this is where you've been hung up for the last several years, or maybe longer. You want to understand everything before you believe in anything, and I get that. I get that. But isn't it true that we don't hold that standard for anything else in life? Think about it. Do you believe in love? Can you explain it? 
Do you believe in imagination? Can you explain that? Ms. Bond was my sixth grade reading teacher. She was one of those teachers who had a significant impact in my life, helped me to really understand how to think. She had a deep passion for books, and I think that had an influence on me as well. But one day, she told our class, I don't understand how my garage door opener works, but it doesn't keep me from using it. And I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. She went on to talk about how she was exploring and studying and trying to learn how that, push that button and the door goes up. She wanted to know. This was a woman who was in her 60s at the time. She couldn't explain it to us. She couldn't explain it to herself. But she still believed in it because she saw it worked. She saw the evidence of it when she pushed a button and the door went up. Here's some great news, because some of you would love to come back into faith, but your brain just won't let you. You think this whole thing about Jesus is just illogical. But some of you miss the worship that you experienced. Some of you miss the community. But you've got to understand everything before you believe anything. Yet, you don't hold the same standard for any area, any other area of your life. Maybe God is saying to you this morning, just take a small step. Look at the evidence. And if it's there, believe something. And maybe along the way, if you continue on this journey, you'll understand a little bit more. You see this man who was healed? He starts getting really bold with the religious leaders. I think he's fed up at this point when he says in verse 25, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. He's saying to them, I can't answer all your questions. I have no idea if the guy that healed me is a sinner or not. But I have, and I have no idea whether the garage door opener, how that works either. He didn't say that, but I just put that in. Here's what I do know. I was blind, but now I see. So, Religious leaders, let's review. I was blind, now I'm not, because I can see. You know what? That's the story of millions of Christians today. And maybe it's your story. There was a season in your life when you were at the end of yourself, when you had hit a wall, or you had wrecked because of decisions, bad decisions that you had made. Maybe you were controlled by an addiction. Or maybe you were just painfully lonely, or possibly even worse, suicidal. You were nowhere. You had nothing to lean on. And so you did what only, the only thing left to do. You cried out to God, and something happened. And you can't explain it. But something happened. You didn't get it before because you were blind. But now you see. Verse 26, look what, look what we read. John writes, then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? They're still not done with this guy. They're looking for more reasons not to believe. And this guy is 
I think he's fed up completely now. Look what the next text, verse text, uh, verses 27 and following say. He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? That's a good one right there. Because he knows they don't, right? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. Now he's mocking them. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. It's obvious where he comes from. And it's right in front of your faces, this man is saying. Here's the question. How much evidence do you need to know that he came from God? That's what this man was asking the religious leaders. But that's a very good question for us. How much evidence do you need to know that he came from God? He goes on in verse 31. It says, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he he could do nothing. To this, they, the religious leaders, replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They threw him out. If this man were not from God, he couldn't do any of this. Let's be honest, guys. To which they replied, you are a sinner from birth and you deserve what you've gotten. And then they threw him out. Willful blindness. Refusing to see what can be seen. Let's be honest. Willful blindness isn't flattering. It doesn't look good on anybody. But that's what we do when we put God in a box. There are two things that happen when we put God in a box. When we do this, we first, we risk, number one, rejecting the very people God loves. And much worse than that, number two, you ultimately risk missing God. And that's what was happening with the religious leaders. Here was the Messiah right in front of them. And they were missing him. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe somebody's making you watch this this morning as we're all kind of sheltering in place, kind of social distancing, right? And maybe you're here against your will. Here's a question I want you to ponder. Just do me this favor. Have you ever looked at the evidence? Think about it. That's what the guy who was trying to get the religious leaders to do. Just look at the evidence. Aren't you even curious? Have you closed the door on the idea of God? Have you closed the door on the the fact that Jesus may actually be who he claimed to be? Have you closed the door on the concept of a literal resurrection from the dead? Jesus coming back? from the dead 2,000 years ago? Perhaps God is bigger than you thought he was. And that's okay. I think we'd all agree it's okay to be wrong on some of this stuff. 
We don't always get it right the first time. I mean, think about it. Look back 10 years at what you thought was right. If you look at the clothing or the hairstyles, look at some of this. Ooh. Truthfully, I don't know about you. I would take that hair right now if I could grow it, but none of that is good, right? Some of it's just downright embarrassing, the decisions we've made in the past. Things we thought were right or good or true and turned out to not be. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to not know. We're all learning. We're all curious. We're all figuring this thing out. But could we all agree on this? It's not okay not to look if there's something to be seen. Let me say that one more time. It's not okay not to look if there's something to be seen, if there's evidence. That's why John wrote this gospel. John's entire message throughout the gospel is there's something you should see. That could be the subtitle of his of the gospel. The gospel according to John, there's something you should see. If you had seen what I saw, John would tell you, you too would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Before we close, I want to tell you that we miss you and we're continuing to pray for you. And if there's anything we can do to help you during this time, please let us know. And if it's in our power to do that, we will do that. I want to tell you a, two, a couple things. First of all, uh, I posted an article this morning on our website. You can link it from our Facebook page on what we can do as the church. It's, in, it's titled, There's No Better Time Than Now to Be the Church. So I want to encourage you to check it out. And I want to challenge you to take one or two of those things and uh, put them into practice. We, certainly we've got plenty of time. And the second thing I want to let you know about is we're going to continue this format over the se next several weeks uh, until, until, you know, it's safe that we can meet together again. So uh, stay connected to the Facebook page and our website to stay up to date. No, we love you, we miss you, and we wish you God's richest blessing until we reconnect. God bless. See you soon.